You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. If you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Colossians, we begin chapter 2 this morning. Colossians chapter 2. In this morning's text, the Apostle Paul is striving to communicate his love, his compassion, and tenderness for the Colossians. And in, in our text, you'll see him emphasizing this tenderness, this pastoral care for this young church, a church he's never met in person. But his, his statements and his longings for them and his struggling for them is not boastful, but yet it's a humble yearning that they can somehow feel and read through his words, through the writing in this letter that they read, that they must have read aloud, uh, his compassion, his love for them, his desires for them. So Colossians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5, if you wouldn't mind to read this with me. Uh, You just sat down, so you don't need to stand again, unless you just want to. You're welcome to. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love, so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding And have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see how well ordered you are in the strength of your faith in Christ. Amen. This is God's word. Allow me, if you will, to read verse 1 again. Listen closely in this first verse of his care for this people, for this church. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you. Our English language does not emphasize these words like it does in the Greek. For those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person, I greatly am struggling for you. Paul struggling for this church and it's the same work same word in the greek that paul used in verse 29 of chapter 1 that we looked at last week that word for striving that word that we get in our english language agony in other words paul here was agonizing for the faith of these strangers to increase and grow in christ I mean, we barely pay attention to the mailman, (laughs) the people driving down the road around us. The same cashier we might see at the grocery store every week or at the convenience store or whatever, but yet Paul here has never met this people and he is agonizing and struggling for them. Now, we shouldn't be confusing this word of agonizing and struggling with what we might think of worry or anxious. That's our temptation because of the English language. And according to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, worry and anxiety is mentally distressing concern or interest that often includes doubt, fear, 
or uneasiness. So that's where you know you cross the line. When there is a doubt, when there is a fear, when there's a lack of faith that God's will will be accomplished, that God can provide, that God will protect better than we can, that's when we're on the anxious side, the worry side that scripture also tells us to not be anxious, but offer up all of our, all of our worries and anxieties to Christ in prayer and supplication. But Paul here is agonizing for them. And again, to repeat the definition from last week, it is extreme pain of the body or mind. It is anguish, appropriately the pangs of death and the sufferings of our Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane from Luke twenty-two forty-four. So Paul is agonizing with pain as if his body was being beaten for this people. That's how much he was struggling for them as he's writing this letter and wanting to communicate this to them. If you have agonized for the faith of a friend or a loved one, a parent or a child, you too can understand this struggle, this agony that Paul had. Longing, yearning, in almost physical pain and desire for them to come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. When a child or a friend is astray and going a path that God does not have for them because their choices are obvious, their choices are in willful sin and disobedience to his word and his will for our life. That agony that will keep us up at night in prayer for that loved one is what Paul is feeling here for these Colossians. There was a young girl in our family that we fostered several years ago. She was only in our home for about four and a half months, but because we love her dearly, we still agonize over her, and we get updates once in a while, and often those updates are very distressing in the choices that she continues to make in her life. And we agonize for her, not knowing what her future will be, but yet choosing to daily trust God that he's got her, that he can take care of her, protect her, provide for her better than we could. This is the same type of agonizing, agonizing, struggling that I believe many of the leaders here at this church have for you. We labor, we do what we do, we serve in the ministry areas and behind the scenes all so that you have the opportunity to grow in your faith and to know Christ better, to present you fully mature before Christ, as Paul said in the last chapter. And then beyond that, beyond the walls of this church, beyond this immediate faith family, that that would then spread and overflow into our community. That people here would see us as that. Not that this church's name would be exalted, but so that Christ's name would be exalted. So what did this look like for Paul to agonize for them? Well, this is where we're going to do a little bit of a review. Flip back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 9. 
Paul agonized for them through his prayer. That was the first place he went. That is the first place we should go to when we are agonizing and struggling for fellow believers, for those who are lost, for our community. It's in prayer. And in that prayer that Paul prayed, if you recall, he was praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual understanding. And that through that, they would have a walk fully pleasing to God. That walk that would be bearing gospel fruit. So that our calendars, our checkbooks, our time, our talents that he gives us, the lives that we live, when people look at them, they go, there's something different here. They don't look like the rest of society and the rest of the world by what they post online, by how they talk to me, by how they treat me when they come through my checkout line, when they fill in the blank. The life bearing gospel fruit. And also so that to, they would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. All power. God's power. More power than we can comprehend or wrap our minds around. And Paul also agonized for them through serving. Verses 24 through 29 of chapter 1. Suffering for Christ in his example as he was, in his labor of going to the different churches he was able to go to. I mean, he was put in jail, he was tortured, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked. There are missionaries around the world facing the same types of things. If you don't believe me, hop on Voice of the Martyrs and check it out. There are fellow believers that are going through this and worse today. All in the name of sharing the gospel. And we don't have to here, do we? What we might call persecution here is, but nothing compared to what they're going through. So we should at minimum be lifting them up in prayer as they come to mind as we hear about what they're going through. Proclaiming Christ talking about him, not just living a life, an example that bears fruit of that, but also proclaiming him with our words. It's not enough that we just live a good example. We must acknowledge he is Christ. He is our Lord and Savior. And then share him with them. Not to push something on somebody, not to sell something, but because he is the only way, the truth, and the life in order to have relationship with God. He is the only one who can provide hope and salvation and purpose and trials and suffering that everyone will go through. And then Paul labored for Christ. He labored through his prayers. He labored through writing them letters from prison. He labored through going the many places he went. He labored by being a tent maker and trying to help provide for his own income and salary along the way. He labored for them. And then Paul agonized also so that Christ would be supreme in their lives. And that was in verses 15 through 20. Christ being before all things and all things held together by him. Christ being the head of the church. Christ reconciled our guilt and sin to restore us back to a relationship with him 
as we just sang about the last two songs. Paul is agonizing for the Colossians, for Laodicea, a very close neighboring community, and other believers that Paul may not have met. You see, Paul's very specifically saying, I'm laboring and struggling for you, and not just you, but also your neighbors in the community next door, in your community. Church is not about walls of a build or a building. So when we think of church, we have to move beyond what we think of this building on Old 71, up above the high school, close to the interstate, when we describe it. This may be where we meet. But this building could be gone tomorrow. But by God's grace, New Life Church would not be. This local body of believers, this faith family. Then Paul states what the focus of his prayer and agonizing for this people was for in verse 2. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. Joined together or knitted together by the blood of Christ and their common faith in him. Unity, like Paul references in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body of Christ, a body that is unified like the human body that he references in that passage, though we have different uses, different roles, different talents. We need our toes. We need our fingers. We need our arms and our elbows. We need our chests and our stomachs and our backs, and I could go on and on. We all have a different role to play, but yet we're all unified and knitted together because of the head, Christ. And this also that their knowledge and love for Christ would increase. Paul giving us a very simplified definition of church here. Hearts of believers joined together because of Christ and for Christ. Let me say it again. Hearts of believers joined together because of Christ and for Christ. I like that. Without being joined together under the common bed of Christ, the common bond of Christ's blood, we will not grow in our faith, but we will slowly drift away. So we're all very familiar with the rivers and the creeks around here, and, and John, especially, and his team, uh, very intimate with them this season. As much rain uh, that we've had, and some of you who have properties along them have had lots of experience with, with the rivers different levels and the flowing of the rivers and how fast and how slow it can be at different times. But the point being is that you throw a stick out in it, it's going somewhere. Unless you somehow powered that stick, right, with something else to go upstream or go side to side. It's going to drift. And that is us. Without an intentional relationship with Christ, without an intentional relationship with a body of believers, we will drift. You see, many years after Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, there's another letter where this neighboring community of Laodicea is mentioned, written by the Apostle John in Revelation 3. Verses 15 to 16. And in this letter, he writes to them and says, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold 
or hot. So because, but because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. This is God speaking to this church in Laodicea. They drifted. They were no longer knitted together under the bond and blood of Jesus Christ. And they drifted into lukewarmness. And God says, I have no use and no need for lukewarm. From the beginning of creation, beginning with the first marriage and the family, all the way to today, God has designed and created His people to live in a faith community together. After Christ came, it has been called the church. And we see that in Ephesians 5.23. Or the bride of Christ, the next verse, Ephesians 5.24. Or the body of Christ, as we've already mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. Church can look very different depending on where you are in the world. What place in history you look at the church. And that's okay. God does not give it specific instructions that it has to be in a building that it has to be in a shopping center, or that it has to be in a school, or that it has to be in a home if those things aren't available, or out in the middle of a field in a tent, as this church has done in the past. God does not give specific instructions in that part of it. But if you're newer to this faith family, for us, church looks like meeting here together on Sunday mornings weekly as brothers and sisters united by Christ And then it also looks like small groups throughout the week. Some meet on Sunday mornings, some meet in homes on Sunday evenings or at other evenings throughout the week. It looks like reaching out into the community together through our children and student ministries on Wednesday nights, through Angel Tree, and Lord willing, other things that I don't even know about, or that things that we will do in the future together. A definition that's not as simple, but communicates what I believe the definition for New Life Church is, is this. Imperfect people, all of us in in here, those who can't be here with us this morning, imperfect people, saved by grace through Jesus Christ, who come together In covenantal community, we are committing to each other. Covenantal community to encourage and inspire one another to love God, to love others, and make disciples of Jesus Christ. We agonize and labor for this so that we would not become lukewarm. And be in jeopardy of being vomited out of God's mouth. Or that we would be cold and be rejected completely. But so that we would be united for Christ and through Christ. Because of Christ. Confession. There was a short season in my family's life where we stepped away from attending a local church. Several years ago. And during the season we focused on just trying to do family devotions and pray and sing. And, and our hearts at that time were to 
try to refocus on the intentionality of those devotions in our family. And we thought that this time would be beneficial, and God used some of it, definitely. But we also found that something big was lacking. That even though we were, as individuals, praying and studying the Word, and as just the, our immediate family only in our home coming together, my wife and I experienced and sensed a drift happening still. We were missing this being joined together and knitted together with the local family. And just to be straight up honest with you, it was wrong of us to do that. It was sin. And let me share why I think it was. Hebrews 10.25 tells us to not give up meeting together beyond our immediate family. Now, if you live in a persecuted country and you and your family are the only believers there, that's different. That's not the case here. I mean, we can leave this building and within five square miles, we can go by how many churches? Ten. <laughs> Ten different local families, faith families. We aren't at risk of being the only believers in McDonald County. First Thessalonians 5.11 says to encourage one another. Well, how can we encourage other believers if we're not committed to meeting with them and being there for them and serving them? John 5.12 says to love one another. Well, I can't love you at arm's length as well as I can with my arm around you. 1 Corinthians 12 verses 4 through 31 says that we are to use our time, our talent, and treasure to glorify God by serving each other. And again, that is only in covenantal community and then that community reaching out into the communities beyond. We can only follow these instructions and in scriptures by being committed to a local faith family where we worship God with other believers. Y'all don't hear me saying that I think that every time you miss church, it's a sin. My family and I travel at times to go see our kids who are in Kansas City. There are things that come. They're sick. I get that. I get that. There are times as a parent, it's just impossible to get all the kids out the door. But are you committed to trying and striving for those things? And also don't mistake me for saying that it's about filling up this room or this building or making this building bigger. It's not. It's not that. It's about being able to present you and me fully mature in Christ so that you might know him more fully and that so those who are lost, who don't know him, whether you're here today or you're in our community, might know him. Are we willing to get our hands, feet, knees dirty in prayer and serving the lost of this community? How can we do that? I certainly don't want to get to heaven someday and God stand before Christ and him say, thank you, you did really good inside that building, but where were you 
and the rest of the community in the world. Look at the second part of verse 2 with me again. Paul wanting all believers to have the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of Christ. Longtime pastor and theologian Kent Hughes says this about this verse and this passage and about how we can grow in our understanding and knowledge of Christ by being committed to other believers. Mere intellectual comprehension of the mystery of Christ will not bring full understanding of the mystery. For understanding also comes through the love of Christians one for another. When we are loved by other believers, we experience Christ through them. And thus, our knowledge of Christ is enhanced. We cannot pursue knowledge of God in willful, unloving isolation, rejecting fellowship with others. My family has experienced the love of Christ through his people through very difficult times in our lives at different seasons, both here at New Life and the two previous churches that we've attended in the 26 plus years of our marriage and family of being together. If you've experienced the love of Christ through God's people, you too know this to be true. And this only comes through being committed to a local body of believers. We as individuals need to be committed to it and then the group also has to be committed to the individuals. And as we grow in our love for him, we will grow in our love for what Christ loves. His church. His people. Those who do not know him. So because I love you, and because I am concerned about this thing for us, because I've experienced what that drift feels like in my own life, I have some hard questions to ask here. Is your attendance at church based on how you feel that morning? How late you chose to stay up the night before? Or is it based on your commitment to worship God and to serve the body? Do you find yourself not wanting to commit to serving Because other things in your life keep you too busy, such as hobbies, sports, including your children's sports, entertainment, even work schedules. I know there's seasons where work can bring it, take us away, but are you striving to get on a schedule that would not keep you away? Perhaps it's hard to commit, not because you mind serving, but because you have a hard time dealing with people. Those human interactions. And by the way, if you use that term, as I've heard on a show recently, it may be <laughs> something inside if that's how you approach being around people that I have to do some human interaction right now. Maybe we're looking at it a little wrong if that's how we think about it. For the introverts in the room. Do we treat church like we're a consumer and it's all about us. How long I go, how funny whoever's speaking is, how good the music is.
There are a lot of churches basing it off of those things. And history tells us that those churches will not last. Church should be about where God calls you to worship and serve him. Church should be about are they preaching and teaching the written word of God and presenting the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what a church should be based on and why we go where we go. Or do we attend church because it's what God wants and desires for us? How can we worship Him in covenantal community? How can we serve Him by serving each other in our local community? What do we teach and model to our kids when we're lazy about our church attendance or desire to get involved and serve? What do we teach and model to our kids when we promote their sports and activities above connecting them to a local community so that they can grow in Christ with other believers? There's over 80% of the kids leave the faith when they graduate high school. Well, no wonder. When baseball and football and other sports and other activities pull them away from the church and we as parents say, yeah, that's great. This is, again, not about padding this church's budget or attendance records. It's not. It's not about filling up this building. It's about us obeying Christ. It is about the privilege to love God through corporate worship and to serve fellow believers where God calls us to be. Because I'm telling you, there are levels of joy that you will experience in doing this that you can't experience apart from it. Like, I just don't feel God. I feel distant. But I'm having my quiet times every day. But are you serving your fellow believers? Are you committed to them? Are you reaching out to them? Are you showing up? To be available so that Christ can use you to show his love to them through you? Moving on to verse 3. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jewish writing, when the term treasures here was used for wisdom and knowledge, it was meant for the reader to realize that that wisdom and that knowledge, that treasure can be discovered through searching and digging. Not that it's unfindable but it can be discovered through some effort. Hidden treasures aren't magically just appear, right? If you have good long-term investments, most of the time it just didn't happen. That's the lottery. The odds are astronomical. I don't recommend it. But, the wisdom and knowledge, the treasures here that Paul is addressing, we can find through our commitment to a faith family, to our personal time. Yes, don't neglect our time of prayer and study as individuals, but it's coupled with 
doing it together. When you see a beautiful sunset, don't you want to just tell somebody about it? It's why social media is so amazing, right? Because you can post it. I posted a rainbow earlier this week. I usually get maybe 10 likes on something. I'm not really tracking or really care. But at the same time, I've gotten, I don't know, I haven't checked it today or yesterday, but it was over 50 last I looked, likes on a rainbow. Because it's beautiful. Wanting to share that experience with somebody else. I saw something amazing and beautiful and wonderful, and we want to share that with somebody else. If you see it by yourself, it's like, oh, that's cool. Thanks, God. But it grows in beauty and magnitude by sharing it with others. Same does our affections with God and for Christ as we do it together. We can sing along to a great song in our car. Come behold the wondrous mystery. Love that song that we've been singing. We can sing along all the time driving along. The last two Sundays we sang it here, I've got tears going down my face and I can't stop them because I'm singing it with you and I'm hearing you sing it about the truth of Jesus Christ and the wonderful mystery, the treasures of who he is and what he's done for us. As we search for these treasures individually and together, that will grow our affections for Christ. It will grow our wisdom. And God does this through both our hearts and our minds. Our hearts representative of our affections and our mind through logic and reasoning. He wants us to pursue this with both. We can have all the knowledge in the world, but our hearts are not in it. And I have friends who know way more about Scripture than me, but do not know Jesus Christ as their friend and their Savior. And yet, I know people who are just so madly in love for Christ, but they've got no foundation to stand on because it's only about their heart and what they feel. And so they're about as floppy as a flag in the wind. And there's nothing solid to stand on. So when a trial or a storm comes in life, they're just, <laughs> they're gone. It's our hearts and our minds. Verses 4 and 5. I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. Just about everything online sounds reasonable, huh? For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are in the strength of your faith in Christ. Again, Paul attacking the false beliefs of the day. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul instructing them and us to be knitted together in Christ, in Christ alone. That the treasures of wisdom and understanding are revealed through our minds and our hearts, both as individuals and together as a body, as a faith family. As we constantly and consistently handle the truth of Christ through scriptures, through prayer. Much like I mentioned the bank teller last week, they detect the counterfeit reasonable arguments by handling the real deal day in and day out. And that is how we will detect those reasonable sounding arguments when we are reading something or hearing something that is false. By handling the truth 
digging for the treasure of the wisdom of Christ. We have more information available at our fingertips today than was probably available to Paul in all the world at the time he wrote this letter, somewhere around AD 60. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone has a variation of the truth, and they're able to publish it and post it at will. Messages like, you be you. Stay true to yourself. Take life by the horns. Take care of number one because nobody else will. Any message that promotes us, the created, over the creator. That's why these are wrong and false messages. You be you. It's all about you. That's not what this says. That's what man says. Be true to yourself. Well, I'm sorry, but I know that my true self without Christ is sin and broken and fallen. And, but for his grace and his strength, I am the next catastrophe to happen. I'm not going to be true to me. God forbid. Let me be true to you, Lord. And these sayings can be cute and can be harmless and we can have them on mugs and decorations. They're a false gospel message whittling away at the truth. The truth that we are sinners in constant need of God's saving grace through Jesus Christ. See, scriptures do not ask us to manage temptation. Nowhere is that in scripture. It says to flee. So if I just manage this temptation of these sayings in my life, or I just manage what I look at online, or what I listen to, or... No. It says to flee. Our struggle and striving should be to more fully surrender to Christ to trust more wholly in the saving grace. So that we too, like Paul, be like what he said in verse 5, as we hear about believers around the world and in our community, that though we may be absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are in the strength of your faith in Christ. All so that we might be joined and knitted together for Christ and because of Christ. So let's take a moment to struggle for some fellow believers on the other side of the world. Are you willing to do that with me this morning? Let's apply it together as a body right now. William and Robin Butler are Bible translators with Pioneer Bible Translators in Papua New Guinea with the Warren people. This is an organization that my family personally supports and this church, this church body supports as well. If you guys were here during the missions conference last year and Rich Sheely spoke another time, if you remember Rich, he's with Pioneer. They, this couple, this missionary couple has been working there since 1979, over 40 years. And when they first got there, they first had to learn their language Then they had to assist the people into developing an alphabet. No alphabet for their language. 
So then they begin to work with them on helping them become literate. So, okay, we're making up the alphabet for your language as we go. Can you imagine? I wouldn't even know where to begin. But they did this. Helping them establish an, an alphabet. Then learning, then teaching the people to read and write after you help them develop an alphabet. Then they began translating scriptures for the first time in the mid-80s. So it took them six, seven years just to get that far. And God brought along two Warren people to help with the translation. In 2013, one of those Warren people passed away, but they continued on. And literally, just a month or two ago, they completed the New Testament. So the mid-80s to 2019 translated just the New Testament in their language. Over 40 years of laboring and agonizing for this people, proclaiming Christ to them and working to put the word of God in their hands in their language. We've got a video. I want you to watch this celebration. Because of what this translation means to the modern people, they just were celebrating, worshiping God in their own language, and they didn't want to stop. celebrated the way they wanted to celebrate for as long as they wanted to and it was over several days and no doubt in many ways the celebration is still going on in water and land.
would you join me in praying for them? Father, I praise you and I thank you for the faithful work of those missionaries, God, that no doubt relied on you through so many trying times to raising two kids from birth to adults while living there, faithfully translating your word for this people and loving on them and ministering to them. So, Father, we just pray that every Warren would be able to hear your word in their household, that they would be able to hear it read out loud, that they would be able to learn to read, to read it for themselves, that you would continue to provide scriptures, God, that someday, someday, maybe that might even have the Old and New Testament in their language. And Father, as they hear your words, I pray for the transformation of their lives, that they would come to know you and follow you. And then, Father, that they would spread the gospel. As it has transformed their lives, they would then take it to their neighboring communities to share it with others. In your name, amen. We too can struggle and agonize for fellow believers around the world. I mean, we have access to everything online. (laughs) When we truly and wholeheartedly embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and our daily need for it, we too will respond in Christ-like agony for others. Both here, in this church, and in our community, and in around the world. Then as the grace and love of Jesus Christ further transforms us, we too will grow in our love for what he loves, his church. That we would be committed to a local body of believers. I could suggest a good one here, if you're not. We'll have some membership classes coming right after the holidays, early next year, if you're not a member here and you'd like to know more about it. But that we would come with open hearts and open hands. How can we worship you, God? How can we serve you by serving each other and serving this community? Thus, unearthing those hidden treasures of the knowledge of Christ and his wisdom. And as we handle the truth, his truth, those false, reasonable-sounding arguments that bombard us every day, they will be less and less reasonable and far more false in our minds to where we know that's just the enemy trying to trip us up. He's not trying to clothesline us. He's trying to make us stub a little toe at a time. And that's it. We've prayed a lot this morning together and that's a good thing. I'm going to close this in prayer. We'll pray one more time. So that as we leave, we take this with us. It wasn't our check, check church off the list this week. It was I have served Christ with my brothers and sisters and I have worshipped him with them. And now I am equipped knowing that they've got my back and I've got theirs as I go into this week. How can we pray for you? Every one of you need prayer. 
Everyone. We have a prayer request box out there. You can email me or text me. There's nothing that the elders and I would like to do more than to know how we can specifically pray for you. So Father, this time we commit to you. We offer it up as a fragrant offering. God, I know I was only able to do this because of your strength and your wisdom. And I thank you for that. I pray that it was faithful. I give you the credit for anything that was good from it. I ask you to redeem anything that was not from you. That was for some reason from me. That you would redeem it and make it whole. And Father, I pray for my fellow brothers and sisters as we leave here this afternoon and go into our weeks as we go to eat lunch at home or out that we would remember to not categorize our lives but to take you with us. That you would be an ever-present part of what we do and an opportunity to introduce somebody who's lost to you. Father, we're not in competition with your other churches in our county. And so we pray for them. We pray that the gospel would be preached there, that your word would be preached there. We pray for those churches to be successful in your eyes, not the world's eyes, and that we would be able to unite with them in reaching the lost. Thank you.